Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. And we're in. We're in. Hi. Hi. I feel like we're doing an acting exercise where we're like staring into each other's eyes now. Mm-hmm. Should we do some Meisner? No. No. <laughs> No. I'm rusty. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. I think I need to take these boots off because think, they're so squeaky. Yeah, they're squeaky. They're squeaky like boots. SpongeBob That's what squeaky I was boots. Today I tried to, I was texting you and then I tried to call you and my phone was at like 15% and I hit like, I was like, call Kayla. And it was like, okay, off. And I was like, what <laughs> just happened? That's not supposed to happen. And then it took like an hour to turn back on. Rude. I have to get you a charging case. Or I could just use the one that you left in my car like six years ago. And by years, I mean no, weeks. That one's terrible. But it has like a Charmander sticker on it. I know. But it's terrible because the port for Because it's charging... not the very best. Yeah. It's terrible. Like, Listen, no I don't need. <laughs> uh, okay. Hello, everyone. Hello. And welcome to Mystery Team Inc. When we last left our heroes, they were going insane because they'd been <laughs> reading too much about aliens. Will a lighthearted mystery bring our heroes back from the edges of insanity? No. Tune in this time <laughs> to find out no. <laughs> Shall we ceremonially crack the beers? Yeah. Listen. Did you? Okay. I gave you a bottle opener. Oh my God, that was so clever. I know. Very smart. I'm not insane because of my mystery. Oh, I didn't crack it in, in the mic. That's so Here, funny. Cause I'll simulate it. Clink. You, <laughs> you could have just done some actual Foley work with your bottle cap, I feel. Okay. Here. can't wait to hear that great i think it's gonna sound real good um wait before we get to the actual mysteries some quick business uh if you are looking for a pen pal you can email us at mystery team incorporated at gmail if you want to follow us on instagram i don't want a pen pal i do i tried that already oh no with like a prisoner no, do you remember it was that little Dutch boy? Yeah, I do. And you when we were talked 12. to him about Scissor Sisters. Mm-hmm. And he said, have you ever visited a scissor show? Different meanings, Different meanings now. Now that we're not 12. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at Mystery Team Inc. And Twitter, Mystery Team Inc. 1. And that's it, probably. We have a Facebook page, but... The Russians are all in there now. So. Yeah, we can't trust that shit. Remember when the Russians hacked your Twitter like three <gasps> years ago? Was that Russian? Yeah. God. Hundred percent. I remember what very a vividly. Blessing. Yeah, you already got hacked. <laughs> I was hacked before it was cool. We were also talking about how we should start a GoFundMe page for our uh, NSA agent. Because Yo. first of all, it's just because I feel bad for him. 
because you know get he has to scour all this audio. But we want to start a GoFundMe for him so he can get out of the NSA and go do what he really loves. <laughs> Franklin. <laughs> if you're out there. We know you're out there. Hi. All right. You have a mystery? I do. Do you want me to go first? It's your turn. Yes. Okay. That's great because I want to – I'm so excited about yours. Great. I'm so excited about mine too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And yours. Well, you don't know anything about mine. I know. That's why I'm so excited. I know nothing. I'm flying blind here. Yeah. So, mine is the mystery of the murder of Ken McElroy. Oh, boy. I assume it's... Oh, I'm sorry. I just pulled your (sighs) microphone. I assume it's... Will you pause and test it to make sure nothing changed? Yes. All right. We're clear. Are both recording? Yes. Yes. Great. Okay. So, this is the mystery of the murder of Ken McElroy, and it's not what you think. I don't think anything. I know. (laughs) Okay. So, Ken McElroy, his full name is Ken Rex McElroy. No. But I'm not going to even... We're going to call him Rex. We're going to call him... No, that's too cool. (laughs) That's too cool. You'll see. So he was born in 1934. He was the 15th of 16 children. Whoa. Yeah. It was an honor just to be nominated. (laughs) (laughs) His parents were poor migrant farmers. Mm Mm-hmm. And they they moved between Kansas and the Ozarks, and then they settled outside of Skidmore, Missouri. Skidmore, Missouri Mm. is an hour and a half north of Kansas City. It has today a population of 345 people. Oh, so back then it had a population. Oh, my God, you just scared the shit out of me. Why would you do that? Because the door started closing on its own. But it's not because there's a ghost. It's because this house is built on a tilt. That was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me because you looked directly behind me with the widest ghost eyes. It was scary, and I thought it was going to make noise. Anne, we're recording. Anne is my aunt who died in the apartment we're recording. In. She's cool, though. I don't She's think she would make cool. noise. She wouldn't make noise. She would, though, send a cab to this house on Christmas Eve. Yeah, she did do that. She did do that. Anyway. Sorry. Okay, wait. So it has, now it has a population of what? 300? 345 people. Okay, so in 1932, it had a population of uh, 18. Yeah. Because there were 15, 16 <laughs> McElroy children and yeah. two parents. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so he dropped out of school at the age of 15 in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Totally illiterate. Great. Um, he then established a local reputation as a raccoon hunter. <laughs> A cattle rustler, which is a cattle thief. Oh. A small-time thief. And a piece of shit. Like, he was a womanizer and an abuser. He was known to have stolen grain, alcohol, gasoline, antiques, and livestock. What are teaks? Antiques. Oh, I thought you said (laughs) and teaks. And teaks and livestock. I was like, what the fuck is a teak? I thought I knew more about farming than I do. You I was like, like the, like the wood? Isn't teak a wood? <laughs> yeah. God, that's what I thought. Yeah. He stole teak <laughs> and sheep. Great. Um, so. 
Be careful, there's a tank thief on the loose. <laughs> oh, no. That old Rex McElroy. No, we can't call him Rex. <laughs> I'm changing the narrative. No, you don't want to. Okay, that asshole. Yeah. Okay, so he also... Ken. <laughs> okay, Ken. Uh, he was also... Um, he also committed assault and arson. He was accused of child molestation and statutory rape. In total, he was indicted 21 times. Which means he was guilty. Yeah, 100%. Because it's the 1930s. Yeah, Yeah. he was indicted 21 times and was convicted none of them. Do we think that these women were just like trying to make a quick buck off of his fame? Absolutely. Okay, well that explains it. I think that they came forward. Listen. Because they wanted to be famous. That's what I think. All women are just trying to do that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mystery solved. Your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is what his, so he had an attorney named Richard McFadden who described him as a big man with cold eyes who always carried a gun who would intimidate anyone who got in his way, usually by repeatedly harassing them or threatening them with a bullet. But he was like still on his team. Richard McFadden defended him in three or four felonies a year. Mm. Got him off every time. Uh, when did you get here? 1920. <laughs> How old were you? Don't remember. I'm the 15 really out is. of 16. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we're going to write Chicago, but about Ken McElroy. And call it Skidmore, Skidmore Missouri. <laughs> Will win an Oscar. Not as many as Chicago, but right. enough. Okay, so he fathered more than 10 children with different women. His last wife was named Trina McLeod, who he met when she was 12 years old and in the eighth grade, and he was in his 30s. Whoa. Uh, he got her pregnant when she was 14. And she dropped out of school and went to live with him and his third wife, Alice, who he was still married to. No. And then he found out that if he married her, he couldn't be indicted on statutory rape. So he divorced Alice, married Trina when she was pregnant. And then 16 days after she gave birth, Trina and Alice went to Trina's parents house to escape him because he was abusive trina and alice teamed up yep that's that's what i'm here for this is the content that i'm here for and then he tracked them down brought them back and then he went back to her parents house and burned it down and shot their dog (gasps) yeah he's a piece of garbage no Yep. Uh, yep i'm so disturbed i know In June 1973, he was indicted for arson, assault, and statutory rape. He was arrested, booked, arraigned, and then released on a $2,500 bail. Thank you, McFadden, garbage lawyer. Yeah. And then Trina and her baby were placed in foster care in Maryville, Missouri. And McElroy would go and sit outside the foster home for hours and just, like, stare in there. And then he told the foster family he would trade girl for girl to get his child back because he knew where the 
foster family's biological daughter went to school and what bus route she rode. Oh, shit. So he was going to, like, kidnap her. Mm-hmm. And bring her to the foster family and in exchange for... That is, like, the most garbage. fucked up Robin Hood bullshit I've ever heard in my entire life. He's absolute garbage. And he gets worse. Okay, so really quickly I want to tell you about Richard McFadden. Okay. So he defended McElroy three or four felonies a year. He said, quote, best client I ever had. He was punctual, always said he didn't do it, paid in cash, and kept coming back. <laughs> he also said, I was the only friend he had. He told me he would pay me whatever I needed to keep him out of jail. He's, they're all garbage. Yeah. That, this is such a weird theme. It's like you, you, put, you pick two out of two white men and they're both garbage. I know. It's what so are the bizarre. Odds? So bizarre. And out of the norm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then on July 27th, 1976, a farmer named... I just realized how funny this is. The farmer was named Romaine Henry. No! (laughs) What did they farm? What was he? Zucchini? Let us tell you. Oh, good pun. Thank you. Okay, so he said that McElroy shot him twice with a shotgun after... Henry challenged McElroy for shooting weapons on Henry's property. Mm-hmm. Um, McElroy was charged with assault with intent to kill. He denied he was at the scene. And the case kept dragging on without a court date. And Henry said that McElroy would just go park outside his house. And he did it at least 100 times. Um, and then at, at the trial... <laughs> Two raccoon hunters testified. I thought you were going to say two raccoons testified. (laughs) When I first read one of these articles, I was like, two raccoons? Well, because we know that he was a raccoon hunter. So then I was like, oh, my God, did raccoons come and testify against him? uh, No, no, no. Sir, sir, sir. We were also assaulted. We were also assaulted. Me too. I like that they're New York raccoons. Of course they are. (laughs) They're all born in New York. They just, like, migrate. Yeah, sure. They're (laughs) displaced. They're displaced, yeah. So then they went to court and McFadden. Wait, made, you never told me the actual end of that sentence. What did uh, the raccoon hunters say? The raccoons said <laughs> that they were with McElroy the day of the shooting and they were far away from Henry's property. Okay. So yeah. in court, McFadden made Henry admit, not Henry. No. Yes. Henry. Henry is the farmer. Henry's the farmer. Romaine. Made Romaine. Yeah. Admit that he had concealed his own petty criminal conviction for more than 30 years and then got McElroy acquitted because of that. This guy is a fucking shady motherfucker. And I low-key, I love learning about it. I know, but they're all garbage. That's the thing. I don't love them. I just love learning about them. I know. Okay. So then 1980... Their eight-year-old, his eight-year-old daughter. Wait. What year did all of that happen? 76. Oh, shit. So then for four years, he was just, like, okay. going around right. holding a gun in people's face, being a piece of garbage. Right. And then in 1980, their eight-year-old daughter got in an argument with a clerk named Evelyn Sumi in a local grocery store that was owned by 70-year-old Ernest, quote, Bow Bowencamp. And his wife, Lois. Lois. Because she was trying to steal some candy. Lois. Lois. (laughs) 
couple name. Okay, so his daughter was trying to steal candy? Yeah, and, she, like, she got in an argument with Lois. Right. And the uh, clerk. And Lois was like, it was all a misunderstanding. It's fine. She's eight. Whatever. Whatever. But Ken wouldn't have it. No. And he... He wouldn't, would he? He would not. He offered Lois money to fight his wife. Wait. They're in their 70s. Also, what? Is he trying to run like an underground, like, foxy boxing? Yep. But not foxy. Like, trash. Old. Trash man and his child bride and this old lady who just wants to run a store. Wait, I don't understand what... If if Lois was already going to, like, just... It, it didn't matter... Why would he then pay her to fight his wife? Because he's a piece of garbage right, and all what he was wants the gain? to do is the gain was like rabble rousing. Oh. All he ever did was like make trouble. Okay. Because he's a piece of shit. Okay. Um, okay. So Lois was like, no. Mm-hmm. Obviously. And then he started stalking the family. And he threatened so then he he met Bo in the back of 70-year-old Bo in the back of their store while Bo was waiting for a shipment and like threatened him with a shotgun and then ended up shooting him in the neck and Bo survived. Oh shit. But then Bo he was Bo, like Bo Bo Hey, look at my wound. And he got arrested and he was charged with attempted murder. In comes David Baird. David Baird was 27. He had been out of law school for like two years. And he was asked if he wanted to be the prosecuting attorney of Nodaway County, which is the county that fucking skid marks was in. Nodaway. Nodaway. He was working as a legal aide and he was like, "Mm, I don't know. And his dad was like, no, just do it, because, like, nothing ever happens there. Oh. And then three months later. Yeah, this was before true crime, because we all know that where nothing happens is where everything happens. Ooh. Yeah, I felt that one. Damn. That was (laughs) I heard it as I said it. So his dad was like, just do it. Like, it's not going to. You know the way. Yeah. You know the way. I can't. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, that was great. I liked it. Thank you. So he took the oath on April 16th, 1981, and then almost immediately this shooting right. happened. It was one of his first jury trials, and he got a conviction. And McElroy received a two-year sentence, which is very light. Yeah, I agree. But then motherfucking McFadden appealed the decision and they let him go no. on bond. No. Yeah, absolutely. It, <laughs> I just, I hate them. So he was let go on bond pending appeal. Mm-hmm. And immediately after he was released, he went to this local tavern called D&G Tavern with an M1 rifle and just was like blabbing his mouth about what he was going to do to Bo. 
with a rifle in his hand. Poor Bo. I know. He didn't even do anything. No, he just got shot. That's the worst part is that they were like, it's totally fine. There was not an issue. There was no issue. And he made an issue because he wants to run around with his dick out, basically. Yeah. So having the rifle violated his bond and... What an idiot. Yeah. A sheriff deputy got a bunch of witnesses to agree to testify against him. But then McFadden got the hearing postponed. And the town was so mad. Like, group mad. So on July 10th... Mob! But, like, nice. They were just trying to be A safe. nice mob. Nice mob. A knob. No. No. <laughs> no. Just a nice mob. Just a nice mob. Mice. A mice. <laughs> so they met in the town hall to discuss how they could protect themselves from this asshole. Mm-hmm. And all 200 and... <laughs> all 345 of them. Right. And the sheriff was like, we should make a neighborhood watch. And they were like... Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, because they don't want to go out and be the neighborhood watch against yeah, Ken. Yeah, and also that's not enough. No. So while they were having... Because he's doing all the shit in broad daylight. I know. Like, they're all like, yeah, we see him. Yeah. Neighborhood we... watch is not the solution. <laughs> we're all watching. We're all watching. The whole neighborhood, neighborhood is, is already watching. watching. <laughs> we're not the problem. Right. So while they were having this meeting... McElroy went to the tavern with Trina, and they were drinking at the bar, and someone went to the hall. Was she old enough? Oh, no. <laughs> I try. I was, as I was writing this, I was like, was she old enough? That's hilarious. Maybe. I don't know. It's a town of 345 people. I don't think anyone is really carding. I don't, yeah. I don't think they care. She has a child. Let her drink. Yeah. You know? So then, someone from the bar went to the meeting and was like, hey, guys. Not a big deal. Not implying anything. But McElroy's at the tavern. Oh, Just wanted no. to let you all know. Oh no. And the sheriff Mob. was like the sheriff was like, Don't do anything crazy and then got in his car and left town. <laughs> left town in his cruiser. Like just just did not want to be a part of it at all. He was like, you guys behave yourself. Wink, this wink. This is like when your parents let you have a, like when your parents go out of town for two days senior year. Mm-hmm. And they're like, don't have too many people over. Right. Yeah. So. And don't drink any of the liquor in my liquor cabinet that I don't drink that I've been gifted over the years that I just keep for company because <laughs> I'll for sure notice it's gone. For sure. Bye, mom. Hi, mom. So the citizens were like, Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So they all went to the bar. All of them. To have a drink. Just to have a drink. For funsies. As a neighborhood watch. (laughs) They had a neighborhood watch. They had like a rotary club meeting. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So McElroy finished his drinks. He bought a six pack and he went with Trina into his truck. Ugh, the fact that you can buy a six pack in that bar makes me happy. Isn't that cool? God, to live in a 345-person town. There'd be no traffic. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. We'd be the coolest ones there. And we would be shot. In, very on site. Yeah. We'd walk in and they'd be like, you from L.A.? <laughs> because we actually experienced that oh, in small towns in Arizona. Oh, in all Mexico. over. 
all over, all the, over Southwest. the Southwest. Yeah. We walked into a place and they went, you're not from here, yeah. are you? We, there, do you remember that one time that we slammed the door by accident? The wrong door? Yeah. <laughs> we walked in the wrong door to a bar and all 50 regulars looked at us. Yeah. And we, what with my top knot? They were all old men and we looked like we always look and they all turned their, like you could hear, if they even could have been playing a record, which they couldn't have because I don't think they had the technology, no. you would have heard it scratch. Yeah. But instead you just, heard, it was almost like. Someone like hit the fucking eight ball in at that exact moment. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And like everyone turned their heads. It was maybe the most uncomfortable I've ever been. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was so embarrassing. So they got into their pickup truck and then somebody shot him. Trina. Trina was like, they have a gun. And then he got shot twice. Oh shit. And he died it was two different guns oh shit mm-hmm. that was a double hit there were 46 potential witnesses <laughs> not one person cops to seeing anything wait oh this is so good actually <laughs> I, know. I know every single person in the town goes i don't know Oh, my God. I didn't see it. I ducked. It could have been literally any of them. Every person. Oh, my God. It's been 30 years. No one has said anything. The fucking... That's too much. I know. So Baird convened the first grand jury that the county had ever had. And they haven't had one since. Oh, no. No one called an ambulance. No. Trina claimed to identify a gunman, but... She didn't care. She was being held hostage, (laughs) basically. The DA didn't press charges. A federal investigation was launched. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So what we know is that the bullets that killed him came from a 22 caliber Magnum and an 8 millimeter Mauser, which is like an old German rifle. Ooh. Yeah. Like a, like a new in town in the 1950s German rifle or like. What's the other option? I don't know. Where you're going. I don't know. I'm just asking. It was Is just that like a relic. Thinking? Like someone just was like, I got this one. Right. And I'm thinking, that's what I'm saying though. Was that like from someone who was like, came to town in like 1944 and was like moved into town? Do you know what I'm saying? No. I'm I'm wondering if it was like a, like a, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I have, I, <laughs> like a, like a, like a, what's the, like the adjective for when you like rehome a Nazi? <laughs> oh, like a project paperclip, yeah. like pardon. Like not like a displaced, but like a rehomed Nazi. We'll call him a rehomed Nazi. That's what I'm thinking. Because the only way you get an old German gun in like <laughs> 1980s Skid Row, Skidmore, Skid- Missouri, whatever it's called, is from, right? Am I wrong? Unless you get it from a pawn shop from like someone who drove into town. It was 345 so was people. Yeah. Yeah, but I also bet if there was a Nazi there, maybe. The town was 99.3% white. That's why I'm saying it, too, because I'm not saying that there weren't German immigrants prior to 1980 that could have 
brought that the, she, like brought but a gun over. But it's definitely like a world war. That's what I'm saying. If it was gun. yeah, because what you just described it sounded like. Did you say it was a Hauser? Mauser. Oh, I don't know what that is. Me neither. All I know is that it's an old German. Okay, mystery solved. Mystery solved. So. We know that one person was behind the truck and the second person was down the street like half a block away. The one that shot that fucking Mauser. Probably. Okay, that is a rehomed Nazi. That is a goddamn sniper. All right, I'll buy it. Oh, or unless it was an American soldier who fucking took that shit as like a trophy. I'm going to choose that narrative. And was a sniper or some shit. I'm choosing that narrative. It was a a war hero. Could have been. I'm going to say that it was. Great. Another mystery mystery solved. Again. So the FBI conducted over a hundred interviews. Nobody said anything. Everybody to a man was like, I heard shooting and I got down. I didn't see anything. I have some quotes. Yay. Cheryl Huston is a woman who's elderly father had been shot by McElroy and watched it happen from her family grocery store and she was like I didn't see him it was her (laughs) I hope so I hope it was a fucking badass lady getting like some Kill Bill style revenge Mm. and a fucking World War II American soldier who had like scalped a Nazi and taken his Mauser the dream. I hope Trina hired both of them. That's what I was thinking too. I thought for sure. I was like, how many brothers did Trina have? <laughs> two? Because there were two shots. <laughs> <laughs> so Cheryl said, quote, once the shroud of silence fell, there is going to be no one talking. They could have pushed and dug, pushed and dug and gotten nothing. We were so bitter and so angry at the law letting us down that it came to somebody taking matters in their own hands. No one has any idea what a nightmare we live. Oh, shit. Yeah. The Mike Abrams, who is the current, the husband of the current mayor, Debbie, go matriarchy. Yay, Debbie. Said, if they had just, if they hadn't, if they just hadn't done it on Main Street in broad daylight, they knew where he lived. They could have got him at night on the country road. Oh, no. We'd all been better off. Oh, my God. So... It's like this murder haunts the town, but not necessarily in a negative way. Right. They're, all, they're all just like, we're not saying fucking shit because... Because, because stitches gets... Wait. Stitches get snitches. Because snitches get stitches. <laughs> Sneeches get stitches. Because this is what we learned. Don't be a fucking snitch. But it's also like... Don't narc on your fucking friends when they're yeah. taking out a bad, bad dude. And to a man, they all feel so let down by law enforcement. They, like, they're more haunted by McElroy's, like, reign of terror than they are by the His murder. His death, yeah. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit. No, it's great. No one's saying anything. And Baird is now, like, 57 and married, and he, like, ran for office and served for a long time, and he, like, just recently got defeated. Yeah. And he's, like, he's, like that case is still... Is it cold? Is it still an open, considered an open investigation? Mm-hmm. 
I'm not advocating for vigilante justice ever, but like, just know that like sometimes if you're a fucking night crawler terror in a town in a fucking Missouri where everyone's got a gun, you're gonna get shot at a tavern sitting next to your wife in a car. And no one's gonna talk to it. And all fifty witnesses are gonna be like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I thought that. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I think it's <laughs> fucking like that's I've I've never even heard a story like that, but it's me neither. And I feel enjoyable. like it's po- like I'm curious whether they all got together and had another neighborhood watch meeting and were like, let's just none of us say anything, or if they just to a man decided to be like, I don't know. I think that every single one of them knew once it was done that they just were never going to... Never going to say anything. Nobody called an ambulance. Because also, put yourself in their shoes. Anyone that actually saw who it was knew that person. Yeah, because they all knew each other because there's 300 people. Right. Like, if it was us at our bar and, like, there was someone terrorizing everyone and then we saw the person that did it, we would never... Like, we would know. We would know who it was and we would probably be like... Yeah, I'm sure that none of them wanted to say anything for like because they knew who it was. Yeah, and because they wanted mm, to protect their own, and they didn't care about fucking Ken. He deserved it. I mean, yeah, he fucking shot all those old people, and also like we let it go. Like we don't even we don't even stop for a second to talk about it because we're so jaded to this narrative. But he fucking abused so many women, so many women, and Trina was not his first twelve year old bride. He was, she was not the he first girl that child he married brides. at 12 he to get away with statutory rape. He raped women. He raped, mm-hmm. he raped adult women. He raped children. He impregnated children. He impregnated children. He married them. He was abusive. He stole He teak. killed people. He stole teak. <laughs> no, he, he shot a 70-year-old man in the neck. Because of nothing. For no reason. For no reason. Just to be a... He was like Kaiser Wilhelm. We were talking about that today, and oof, do I have thoughts about Wilhelm? Yeah. Well, about did you read that article I sent you? No, I haven't read it yet. Okay. Well, then I won't talk about it. That's fine. But he was like Kaiser Wilhelm. Yeah. Where he was like, "That's the final straw," and they were like, "There are no straws." Yeah. There's no straws. There's no straws. They're bad for turtles. And I bet you they let her have the candy. Probably. They were like, "Just take it. It's fucking fine." Yeah. It's five cents. Yeah. And your dad is terrified. But in 1980, that was like a dollar. But still. It's a dollar. Take it. Let's adjust for inflation. <laughs> okay. Just for the sake of accuracy. So that's the murder that's of Ken, Ken McElroy. Still unsolved. And nobody is saying anything. As they shouldn't. They're all, and they're, a lot of them are dying. And they're just taking it to their graves. But you know what I kind of hope happens? Hmm. I hope whoever At the very it, end. Writes whoever a confession it. and is like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You're welcome. If you're out there. Confess, but only on your deathbed. Right. Yeah. But also, I bet if they confessed, they'd pro- everyone would be like, okay. Yeah. I mean, what's going to happen now? I guess you could, could, could You could spend the last sentence. four years of your life right. on trial. Right. There's no way to prove it. They don't have any shit anymore. If you're out there, Trina's two brothers, confess to <laughs> the murder of Ken McElroy. We're on your side. I love that one. I love it, too. That was a good one. Thank you. I thought it was goddamn hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why you do this podcast. (laughs) You creepy, creepy bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I want a shirt that says creepy, creepy bitch. Don't you have one that says creepy bitch already? I have one that says be afraid. Oh, yeah. It has a cute little collar on it. Yes. Yeah. Adorable. 
Shall we take a break and then yeah. come back after these messages? Yeah, here's a word from our sponsors. And we're back. And we're back. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. Uh, here we are. I'm Maggie. <laughs> it is far too late in the game to be trying Damn to play it. the intro we didn't do card. It. I, you knew I forgot and you didn't do it because yeah, you hate it's like, it. It's like when your teacher forgets to assign you homework. <laughs> yeah. Or forgets to collect homework. Yeah. I'm the fucking kid. I wasn't this kid, but in this Miss Lawrence. <laughs> she would have been like, ah, I'm not doing it later. Yeah. She would have thrown her rubber rat at you. Uh, this is the mystery of D.B. Cooper. Thanksgiving <laughs> Eve, November 24th, 1971. Portland International Airport. A well-dressed man in a black raincoat, loafers, a dark suit, and a neatly pressed white-collared shirt, a black clip-on tie, and a mother-of-pearl tie pin approached the flight counter of Northwest Orient Airlines and paid $20 cash for a one-way ticket to Seattle aboard Flight 305, a Boeing 727 aircraft under the name Dan Cooper. I miss when people dressed up to fly. Or when airline tickets cost $20. Uh, or when you could just walk up to the fucking <laughs> yeah, desk. And just get a ticket. By the way, when I was doing research for this, I saved a bunch of photos of what a Boeing 727 looked like in 1971. And this is fully what you're imagining. Where, like, none of the seats face the same way and it looks like a smoking lounge. <gasps> yeah. This particular aircraft did not. But, like, this was that time. I think we're about to go back to that. I'm hoping. JetBlue, if you're out there. Virgin. Virgin, if you're out there. Virgin's going to be the first airline to resort to, like, <laughs> revert, not resort. Re- revert to, like, to revert 1970s. To just, like, they already have neon lights and, like, a fun, dancey instructional video. Yeah. They're on their way. Yeah. Um, so he purchased, purchased his ticket under the name Dan Cooper, but because of a news media miscommunication... This man became known as D.B. Cooper. What? How? Which is way cooler. I don't know. Who um, was like, it's Dan Cooper, and someone was like, roll out the presses. It's D.B. Cooper. That's literally, I think, exactly what happened. Dear God. And what happened next would become the only unsolved case of air piracy in commercial aviation history in the United States, which it remains to this day. Air piracy is such a cool term i know and let me also say that when i was researching this case i was in the airport (laughs) in louisiana and i it occurred to me while i was taking notes that like maybe it was a little bit sketchy to be googling db cooper but i wasn't worried about it and then i wrote that sentence and then i like opened a google tab and i googled like first ever airline hijacking (laughs) and i was on the airport wi-fi and i was like ah and i like immediately exited out of it and like looked around but it was louisiana so there was nobody there but i was like oh my god my nsa agent Needs a different job. You know Franklin, like all the alarms went off and Franklin stood up at his desk and was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. It's for their pod. Remember the pod told you about the podcast? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, when's the next episode? And he's like, no, 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 that's. There was like a sniper dot on my forehead. Yeah. And Franklin like hit the, like the emergency stop button. Yep. God, thanks, Franklin. Thanks, Frank. I also like to think that he has told his whole office. All about our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of spoiled for them because they know, or maybe he's keeping it a secret to, like, keep the suspense. Maybe. He's not, like, telling them what we're Googling. Do you think they listen to the podcast and they go, that's not where the Alpha Draconians live? Yes. 
I think they listen to it. Or like, do you think they all listen to it and they all go, <laughs> those girls, and like some of the NSA agents' eyes blink horizontally? <laughs> I think it's both. <laughs> okay. I think all of them are like, that's not where they live. And a few of them are like, that's not where we live. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But they listen, they have like listening parties. Yeah. They order pizza and whatever reptilians eat. Blood. Dinosaurs. Yeah. That. Okay. Hold on, wait. Did you see that tweet that said that, revealed that George Washington never knew about dinosaurs? Yes, and I lost my mind. I've been thinking about it <laughs> every day. Because when was the first dinosaur bone discovered? 1802 After or he died. Yeah. It was, it, it's, so George Washington never knew about dinosaurs. That's the my favorite thing that I've ever known. 1860, 18, 18, I don't remember. But yeah, that's the best. <sighs> okay. He would have loved it. Yeah, he would have had something else to make teeth out of. Okay. <laughs> dinosaurs? Oh, dinosaur bones. Yeah. Because he had. In my brain, it became George Washington living at the same time as dinosaurs. No. And like using their. We're not doing pride. a Flintstones thing <laughs> yet. <laughs> Dog, his wife. That's the Jetsons. Okay. Very it's technically not, opposite. but. <laughs> D.B. Cooper boarded the 30-minute flight to Seattle, taking seat 18C. He lit a cigarette and ordered a bourbon and soda. God, what what a life. I know. Flight 305 was one-third full when it departed for Seattle at 2.50 p.m. Shortly after takeoff, D.B. Cooper handed a note to flight attendant Florence Schaffner, who was sitting in her jump seat, which is, um, I looked this up because I was like, what? It's just the seats that the it's flight the attendants seats. have. Yeah. It's the, the fold special down seats. ones yeah. that can't be saved. Right. Uh, who was sitting in her jump seat attached to the aft stair door. Schaffner, assuming that the note was the phone number of a lonely businessman, simply dropped the note into her purse without looking at it. Florence. My girl. uh, I have pictures of her. Was she hot? She's cute. Yeah. Yeah. It was then that D.B. Cooper leaned over to her and whispered in her ear, Miss, you'd better have a look at that note. I have a bomb. Also... D.B. Cooper is so suave up to this point, but I just imagine that she puts the note in her purse and then all of a sudden we're in a sitcom because he's like, now his whole plan is spoiled. And then he has to like, so he slips her a note that says, I have a bomb. And then she puts it in her purse and then he's like, miss, and like trying to make it sound he threatening. Takes the camera too. I have a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have a bomb. Schaffner reported that the note was neatly printed in all capital letters with a felt tip pen, but the true contents of the note are unknown because D.B. Cooker, D.B. Cooker, D.B. Cooper took the note back later on in the flight. No, because he was smart, Kayla. No, because he was like, oh, she thought it was my phone number and she just got rid of it. I'll take it the fuck back then. (laughs) I think it was more about like forensics, but I'm with you. Fair. I think we'd like to think it was about forensics, but it was probably a mix <laughs> it was of probably both. just his ego. Yeah. According to Schaffner, the note effectively said that he had a bomb in the briefcase. After she had read it, he told her to come sit beside him. He cracked open the briefcase so that she could take a quick look at the bomb, which she described as eight red cylinders attached to wires coated with red insulation and a large cylindrical battery. He closed the briefcase and listed his demands. $200,000 in negotiable American currency. What does that mean? We'll come back to that. Four parachutes, two primary and two reserve, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Should I be asking why are you going to get to it? I'm going to get to it. Okay. Schaffner was instructed to inform the pilots of the situation, so she did. When she returned from the cockpit, DB had put on a pair of dark sunglasses. Mm-hmm. 
I have a photo of this. Actually, I have a photo of the police sketch of both ensembles. I love the D.B. Cooper police Me sketch. Too. William Scott, the pilot, radioed air traffic control at SeaTac and informed them of the situation, who informed the FBI. He then told the 36 other passengers over the loudspeaker that their arrival in Seattle would be delayed due to a minor technical difficulty. That's scary because how many times have you been on a plane where the pilot's mm-hmm. like, there's, it's, you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just a minor difficulty when he's probably being held at gunpoint. You don't know. We don't know. Northwest Orient's president, Donald Nyrop, authorized payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to cooperate fully with the hijackers' demands. The aircraft circled Puget Sound for approximately two hours to allow Seattle police and the FBI sufficient time to assemble Cooper's parachutes and ransom money and to mobilize emergency personnel. Schaffner recalled that Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain. At one point, he remarked, looks like Tacoma down there. Why would you say that? As the aircraft flew above it. He also correctly mentioned that the McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive at that time from Seattle Tacoma Airport. Schaffner described him as calm, polite, and well-spoken. Tina Mucklow, another flight attendant, agreed. This is a quote. He wasn't nervous, she told investigators. He seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. He ordered a second bourbon and water, paid his drink tab, and attempted to give Schaffner the change, and offered to request meals for the flight crew during the stop in Seattle. Can I say something a little controversial? Yes. I kind of have a crush on him. That's fine. Okay. Because he didn't... That's fine. Okay. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> that's not controversial at all. Oh, great. I have a crush on D.B. Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> the FBI assembled the ransom money, 10,000 unmarked $20,000 bills, but they made microfilms of each one of them so that they would be traceable. Microfilms are just like, like copies. Yeah. McCord Air Force Base assembled military parachutes for Cooper, but he rejected them in favor of civilian parachutes operated with manual rip, manual rip cords, as opposed to static line military chutes. What is a static line? So a normal parachute, like a civilian parachute, when you jump out of an airplane, you pull the rip cord yeah. and the parachute comes out. Static line is it's attached to the plane. And when they do military jumps, you jump out and the force of your body falling oh. pulls the line and the line is attached to the plane. So that releases like the peg or whatever. And then the um, okay parachute comes out. But it's important to note that he chose the civilian parachutes. Cop. At 539, the flight attendant at SeaTac, wait, the flight landed at SeaTac and DB instructed the pilot to taxi to a brightly lit, isolated section of the tarmac and close the window shades to avoid police snipers. The airline operations manager, and then I wrote in parentheses, OMG. And then when I read it through again, I was like, I don't know why I wrote that. What was so surprising about that? And now I see what I did. Al Lee, dressed in plain clothes, delivered the cash-filled backpack and the parachutes to Tina Mucklow via the aft stairs. DB then ordered all the passengers, senior flight attendant Alice Hancock, and of course, Lawrence Schaffner, off the plane. Flo. I Flo. love Flo. Me too. Cooper explained his flight plan to the crew. Oh, and then also in, I watched interviews and all the passengers said they had no idea anything was going on until they got off the plane and they saw, until they saw them bring the cash. They didn't know that anything was happening until they saw someone bring the backpack full of cash and then they were all politely ordered off the plane. This is the politest. That's why I've said it's okay to have a crush on DB because it's a really polite Because he let everybody off. Right. Cooper explained his (sighs) flight plan to the crew. He wanted them to fly the plane toward Mexico City at the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft at a maximum 10,000-foot altitude. He wanted the landing gear to remain deployed, the wing flaps flaps to be lowered 15 degrees, and the cabin unpressurized. And, oh my god, okay, can I just say my crush Uh is 
getting worse because he like knows all this shit which is important which is important it's like really hot (laughs) (laughs) co-pilot william radazak explained to cooper that in order to fly that slowly they'd need to refuel again before reaching mexico so they agreed that they would stop in reno nevada reno nevada for the second refueling a paradise Mm-hmm. <laughs> an oasis <laughs> one could say with the plane's rear exit door open and its staircase extended cooper directed the pilot to take off northwest i'm is a sorry good quote. they took off with the staircase down he asked them to why then this is the best i'm sorry i'll stop asking why no you get it though right 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 oh my god i forgot where the- i was so <laughs> sorry. i'm living in the moment this is a quote Northwest's home office objected on the grounds that it was unsafe to take off with the aft stair deployed. There's a bomb on board. Cooper continued that it was indeed safe, but would not argue the point. He would lower it once they were airborne. The politest. He was like, I disagree. It actually is safe. I hear you. I hear you. Your feelings are valid. I will lower it once we're airborne. And I disagree. This is fucking funny, and this is a weird footnote to the story that I'd never heard before. A vapor lock in the fuel tanker truck's pumping mechanism disrupted the fueling process, and that happened two other times. Three different tankers were required to complete the refueling, and Cooper, even though he was suspicious, allowed the process to continue until they had completely refueled the plane. So, like, one tanker came up, and then they were like, oh, sorry, boss, the the vapor lock's broken. We're going to have to bring in another tanker. And he was like... That seems suspicious, but okay. (laughs) And then they did, and they were like, wow, this never happens, I swear. It's just happening again. And he was like, all right. And the thing is, they weren't actually fucking with him. That really was what happened. And he didn't call them on it. He just let them do it. Because he's a gentleman. Right. Uh, an FAA official requested a face-to-face meeting with him at the, like, when they were on the tarmac at SeaTac, and he said no. He said, I appreciate your candor. (laughs) I'm going to have to decline. But thank you. I'm sure you're lovely. Oh, he politely declined. At approximately 7.40 p.m., the Boeing 727 took off with only five people on board. Cooper, pilot Scott, flight attendant Tina Mucklow, co-pilot Radizak, and flight engineer H.E. Anderson. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Why did he bring Tina and not Florence? I don't know. We don't know. I feel like Florence has probably experienced this with men a lot. <laughs> I thought that maybe he was letting her off because they shared that moment already. And he was like, you can go now. Your part in this, your part has been played in this story. Yeah, that's what every dude says to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can go now. Your part has been played. Yeah. I'll go find my Tina. Yeah. And Tina's like, oh, and Florence is like, I want to play. <laughs> and he's like, your part is finished. Your part has been played. Flo, well, I just feel And you. you got played. Well, and there's a lot of interviews with her. And actually, when I was researching this, I found even people like snapping photos of her for people like last year. Of Florence? Uh-huh. In, or- in her house in Oregon. Or like in a grocery, like at a fucking. Is there anything from Tina? No. But she's out there. And there's video. I mean, there's interviews with her. But Florence is like the main chick. No, well, Tina became the main chick because she was involved for longer. Because she's a part of this whole scenario. That's Here's about the to thing, happen. though. Florence was the number one. <laughs> I know. Maybe he thought she was too smart. I'll take it. 
Yeah. Because I'm just equating myself with Lauren. Yes. I, <laughs> I, like I know. I think that everyone, I know what's happening. I'm just too smart. He knew that if she was on board, she might foil his plan. I will foil your plan. Boys. That should be your Bumble profile. <laughs> I should just say, Caleb and I will foil, foil your plan. Great. Um, and I'm also going to write D.B. Cooper <laughs> or nobody. Or nobody. <laughs> Give me some wraparound sunglasses. Like a horse. <laughs> Two F-106 fighter aircraft were scrambled from McCord Air Force Base and followed behind the airliner, one above it and one below, out of Cooper's view. A Lockheed T-33 trainer diverted from an unrelated Air National Guard mission also shot out the 727 before running low on fuel and turning back near the Oregon-California state line. So they had, at one point, three, and then at this point now, two military planes following them Mm -hmm. that he was unaware of. After takeoff, He was unaware? He was unaware. He couldn't see them. Because they're... Because he's wearing wraparound goddamn (laughs) sunglasses. Give yourself some peripheral vision. That's literally exactly what it was. Coops. Uh, yeah, that it's not because they're trained to be like stealth <laughs> fighters. No, but it's his eyewear. Yes. Cause it's goofy. You done goofed. You goofed. Coop. After takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to join the rest of the crew in the crock in the cockpit, not in the crock pot. That would be a terrible place to heist <laughs> Get in a plane. The crock pot. We're making soup. I and want it's you. that to be my supervillain shtick. To make people get in a crock that pot. That I put all my instead of like a boiling Mm -hmm. after takeoff cooper told mucklow to join the rest of the crew in the cockpit and remain there with the door closed as she complied mucklow observed cockpits are small Mm -hmm. i just keep thinking in my head everyone in this story is played by the cast of airplane no no i just want i since the beginning i've been imagining it as that well that just makes tina a blow-up doll (laughs) no (laughs) tina's what's her name that blonde lady oh yeah okay uh as she complied mucklow observed cooper tying something around his waist at approximately 8 p.m a warning light flashed in the cockpit indicating that the aft air stair apparatus had been lowered the crew's offer of assistance via the aircraft's intercom system was curtly refused. So they literally came on the... Yeah, are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to reenact. Attention all, D.B. Cooper. <laughs> yes? If you'd like some assistance with the air with the aft stair door, please refer to the pamphlet located in the seat in front of you. Thank you very kindly. I've read it and I understand how it works and I appreciate your help. Please place an infant's mask on before tending to your own. Mm, no. <laughs> At that point, like, it just switched over to a recording. <laughs> yeah. They started playing the Virgin the, Airlines yeah. dancey yeah. seatbelt song. Yeah. Uh, the crew soon noticed a subjective change of air pressure, indicating that the aft stair door was open. Did he comply to sit in an exit row? We don't know. How Do we know how tall he was? 510. So he didn't need to sit in an exit row to be comfortable. No. And also probably half the plane was like a dance floor <laughs> because it's the 70s. It was like a prohibition era yeah. like yeah. backroom bar this that they just was built. ordering bourbon and sodas. You can order bourbon on a plane still. No, I know, but I'm just saying But it's like half But it was in like a those. crystal rocks glass. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. 
and he was smoking Raleigh unfiltered or Raleigh filter tip because back then so many cigarettes were unfiltered that you had to specify when they were filtered (laughs) instead of when they weren't. And then people look at you like, okay, okay. If you want the filter, you pussy. (laughs) And he went, because he's dapper, he went, vaginas are the strongest thing on this planet. And thank you kindly. (laughs) As the plane flew through a heavy rainstorm over the Lewis River in southwestern Washington at approximately 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement, significant enough to require trimming to bring the plane back to level flight. At approximately 10.15 p.m., the aircraft's aft stair was still deployed when Scott and Radizak landed the 727 at Reno Airport. FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff's deputies, and Reno police surrounded the jet as it had not yet been determined with certainty that Cooper was no longer aboard. But an armed search quickly confirmed his absence. So he said, we are going to Mexico, but we got to stop in Reno first. He didn't want to stop. They made him stop. Oh, to refuel. Yeah. So he did it before they could stick. Because I think he knew that if he if they landed in Reno, he was done yeah. for. He needed to see them yeah, across Reno's the border. Yeah, because Reno's horrible. Right. He was like, I can't go to Reno. I can't go to community college there. I went for my sister's volleyball tournament, and I never want to go back. <laughs> Is that you or DB? Both. <laughs> DB. But remember when <laughs> there was that big like high school volleyball tournament in Reno? No. That was a whole thing. I don't remember that. Yeah, there's like an international volleyball tournament in oh, Reno for no. high school girls. And every year, all of my friends from high school who were in volleyball, which is like one person. Right. Two. Two people would be like, we're going to Reno. And I'd be like, why? why? For volleyball. Still, why? Yeah. D.B. Cooper might be around there. Fair. I'll go. Next road trip. Do Um, you need a team manager? This is a photo of the pilot, the co-pilot, Tina Mucklow, and the, uh, er, the engineer. Tina looks like Gwyneth Paltrow. She totally does. Look at her. This is Florence. Tina also looks like my mom. Totally. Okay. We're is it gonna... just 70s blonde women, though? And then yes. who, what actor does he look like? The pilot. Oh, my God. Doesn't he look just like that actor? Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out who it was, and I texted Cameron to find out. I was like, Cameron, who does this guy look like? You'll know. And he just gave me so many joke answers, and I could not figure out who it really was, and now I'm super mad. We'll figure it out. Or we'll just post it on the internet and Look hope it. someone... That looks exactly he, like that oh actor. My God, and I need um, that actor to play him in this story. It's the guy from that 70s show. I thought that. I don't know if that if it is. That, that's who it is. The guy that plays Red? Yep. Kurtwood Smith. Okay. So, after an extensive search of a large radius surrounding the suspected jump zone, including door-to-door searches of farmhouses, patrols up and down the river etc. No trace of Cooper nor any of the equipment presumed to have left the aircraft with him was found. They did this for like a year. No. What equipment? The parachutes, yeah. Or the money or the knapsack. He took the money with him. Right. Right, because that was the (laughs) Right, because that was the reason (laughs) that he had it. Shortly after the spring, this is a quote, shortly after the spring thaw in early 72, teams of FBI agents aided by some 200 Army soldiers from Fort Lewis, along with Air Force personnel, National Guardsmen, and civilian volunteers, conducted another thorough search of the Clark and Cowlitz counties for 18 days in March, and then an additional 18 days in April. Electronic Explorations Company, a marine salvage firm, used a submarine to search the 200-foot depths of Lake Merwin. The local, two local women stumbled upon a skeleton in an abandoned structure in Clark County, but it was later identified as the remains of a female teenager who had been abducted and murdered several weeks before. 
Who? Just someone else. And that's all it says in the story about who that was. There's no information about who that murdered teenage girl is? No. God damn. Ultimately, (laughs) the search operation, arguably the most extensive and intensive in U.S. history, uncovered no significant material evidence related to the hijacking. Then, the FBI distributed lists of serial numbers to casinos, racetracks, banks, etc., in search of the ransom money, later opening up the serial numbers to the public, offering significant cash rewards, but no genuine bills were ever recovered. In 1978, a placard printed with instructions for lowering the aft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter near a logging road about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington. What? Did that get you? That's great. It's literally a placard about how to get the stairs open that just probably flew out the door and landed Uh, in the forest. Do we think that he used it? Maybe. That they were like, do you need assistance? And he was like, no, thank you. I've got it. But he was like, furiously <laughs> reading, reading the placard. The placard, which has no words on it, if, you're, if you'll recall from having it read a placard. Has, like, those pictures, pictures of a, like, <laughs> yeah. some person. Of a person with no face. <laughs> no using face like, no fingers. No fingers. Using their seat as a flotation device. Mm-hmm. And he's like, damn it. I think it's the same dummies that they hired for all of the safety demonstrations at Universal Studios yeah. in the, like, early 2000s. Totes. You know the ones who get it? They got into the Back yeah. to the Future ride, and one was, like, smoking and holding a drink, and the other yeah. one had food. Yeah, had, like, a hot dog or, like, mm-hmm. a sub or something. Every yeah. time I get into my car with a cigarette, I feel like that. You're that guy, dummy. that dummy. <laughs> and I mourn his death because they're gone. In February of 1980, eight-year-old Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family on the Columbia River when he uncovered three packets of the ransom cash as he raked the Sandy River banks to build a campfire. How much is in a packet? The... Well, how much is it? Okay. The bills were significantly disintegrated but still bundled in rubber bands. FBI technicians confirmed that the money was indeed a portion of the ransom. Two packets of $120 bills each. And a third packet of 90, all arranged in the, sa- in the same order as when given to D.B. Cooper. Did he get to keep it? It didn't say. But he was like eight, so I hope yeah, he was literally You eight. can get a lot of Pokemon cards for that. <laughs> this was before even Pokemon, though. I know. You save it. Yeah. It accrues value. The and money? You, yeah. The money goes... Oh, I no. see. Well, well, that's inflation. inflation. <laughs> I'm wrong. You save it. Still save it and then and spend buy it on Pokemon more. cards. Or Beanie Babies. Right. Great investments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Moths don't even eat them all. No. And they are worth a lot more now. I know. I have $200. <laughs> <laughs> we are financial geniuses. <laughs> they also disclosed... Uh, so, yeah, the FBI confirmed all of that. They also disclosed that Cooper chose the older of two primary parachutes supplied to him rather than the technically superior professional sport parachute. And that, because remember, he denied the military ones, but they gave him like a nice sporting parachute like and North like a face one. Right. And like a like a target one. Great value brand. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Walmart and yeah. North Face. Yeah. And he chose Walmart. Yeah. And that from the two reserve parachutes, he selected a dummy. An unusable unit with an inoperative ripcord intended for classroom demonstrations, <gasps> although it had clear markings identifying it to any experienced skydiver as non-functional. Did they give it to him on purpose? No. That's the best fucking part. It was actually an accident. 
Oh they were scrambling. They God. brought him the military parachutes and he said, I don't want those. And then they went and grabbed his, like, they just found civilian parachutes from a skydiving school. But they just grabbed whatever they could grab and brought it. They didn't fucking look at it. And he picked the one that wouldn't open. Yeah. So, the FBI stressed that the inclusion of a dummy reserve parachute, one of four obtained in a haste from Seattle skydiving school, was accidental. Um, yeah, but... Keep in mind, I mean, I don't trust the cops, but... Keep in mind, so he chose the the res- like so he chose a primary parachute and a reserve parachute. The reserve he chose was a dummy. The other functional reserve parachute, he tore it apart, like it was just left in shrouds on the airplane. And they think that he used it to tie the money to his waist, which they think is what Tina Mucklow saw him tying around his waist. So he took the functional reserve parachute. My crush is gone. And cut it up and used it. Okay. Unless it was on purpose, my crush is gone. Okay. Um, the letters. I'm. This is a very short section because, well, so four letters signed by D.B. Cooper and mailed to three newspapers within days of the hijacking were sent. Wait, sorry. Four letters signed by D.B. Cooper were mailed to three newspapers within days of the hijacking, but there's no evidence that the actual hijacker wrote or mailed any of them. And we did we we did they show them to Florence? Well, some handwriting analysts looked at them and like based on her description and her and whatever, were like, yeah, that could be the same person. But she they didn't show her. I don't know. It didn't say. They couldn't just go, Florence, does this look the same? I don't know. But what I will say is that um, there, I'm not going to go into this, but there have been like five different suspects who like as late as like last week, people have been Are you lying? saying like, this is the real D.B. Cooper. No, but I'm going to get there. Uh, okay. Okay. This is my favorite part. And it's the last thing I wrote. And then I have more things to say that are not written down. But in January, 2017, one of the, um, like, okay, so there's, like, they, like, crowd, they're, like, crowd solving, basically. And so there's, like, a team of independent researchers who have been, right, who have been following the case forever. Um, in 2017, it was reported that, because they, st- okay, the only thing, I didn't write this down, the only things that were left behind on the airplane were the cannibalized parachute. Cannibalized? Yeah, that's the word that the, that they use on the thing. That's so overdramatic. I know. I love it. Um, fingerprint. That means another parachute <laughs> ate, ate it. <laughs> like 50 fingerprints, like 20 cigarette butts, and his mother of pearl tie pin. I'm sorry. They had fingerprints and cigarette butts? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's 1971. No, it's 1970. Do they still have them? Who knows? I guess this was pre-DNA. But, That's what I'm saying. God. Um, one of the only things he left, one of the only items of his that was left behind was his tie pin. No, his tie, because it was a clip-on, and his tie pin. Oh, okay. My crush is totally gone. No, you're because think about it like this. He knew he was jumping on a, off an airplane, so he just had a clip-on tie. For the for the heist, and then he just took it off and tossed no, it. No, jump out of the airplane in your fucking tie and get strangled to death somehow. Tuck it in. No, I disagree. I hate clip-on ties. Yeah, but it's part of a costume for a clever ruse. 
Okay, I'm back. That's on why he had a mother. He had a really nice fucking tie pin. Okay, on I'm it back on board. That made it look like he was super you legit, said but it was just a... and you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I win my case. That's not what you say. I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> no one in court goes. I win, win my, my case. case. Bang bang. Um, <laughs> you, and the judge is like, you can't bang bang for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And the lawyer's like, bang I bang. You're such a good yeah. lawyer. Uh, okay, this is the very end. Are you ready? In twenty in January 2017, they reported that rare earth minerals such as cerium and strontium sulfide had been identified among particles from the tie. One of the rare applications for such elements in the 1970s was Boeing's supersonic transport development project, suggesting that D.B. Cooper... Was, was a, a Boeing employee. Damn it. No. <laughs> I can't believe you just stepped on my huge twist. <laughs> yeah. So there's reason to believe that he may have been a Boeing employee. There's many reasons. to That makes total sense. So here were like the conjectures. So initially they were like, well, he was obviously an experienced jumper. So he may have been like a paratrooper. But then why would he have declined the military parachutes, which he would have known how to operate probably better than. Second of all, they like people uh, experts came out and said no experienced jumper would have jumped at 10 o'clock at night and or eight, eight o'clock at night in a rainstorm in like over fucking Washington in the mountainous forest terrain with like water features and nothing but trees and like 50 mile an hour headwinds like just no experienced jumper would have ever done that which yeah. kind of checks out yeah unless you were pulling a heist I'm I don't to, know yeah I'm trying to reconcile. Um, the logic of jumping at that point. So, like, some of the suspects, and I don't want to go into them because... He jumped pre-Reno. Yes. It, he jumped right around... He jumped in Washington, basically. Like, somewhere over Washington. How long had they been flying again? They left... They departed at 7-something, and he jumped at 8-13. And they left from Seattle, which is northern Washington. So, they weren't... It was, it was like, over Washington, uh, Oregon. Okay. Um, and neither of the pilots or personnel from those two planes that were following them reported seeing anyone jump. No one saw him jump, but it was fucking dark. Well, maybe that's it was why raining. you jump in a rainstorm. Right. Maybe that's why you jump in maybe a rainstorm. Maybe he knew that those planes were there. Right. He also knew where the Air Force Base was. So he... Pr- that's why I, I was questioning mm-hmm. him not knowing that the planes were there. Then, I'm just going to go back to this weird thing. Remember when you were like, what does that mean when I said negotiable American yeah. currency? That doesn't really, that's a weird phrase. No one uses that turn of phrase, which made them think that maybe he possibly wasn't from the U.S. He may have been from Canada. And that may be why he was so well acquainted, because he came down from Canada. But that, but is there any group of people on this planet who say negotiable U.S.? Like, what does that mean? I think he meant, like, we can negotiate about the, like, the bills themselves, like, it doesn't have to be, like, 20, like, it doesn't have to be, like, 200, $2,100 bills or whatever. I think he, what he meant was, like, any kind of currency will do. Any kind of, okay. But it has to be unmarked. There are lots of theories. Um, and I don't want to go into all of them, but. You have some of I them? I have some of them. I need at least two. Because <laughs> um, my brain is starving. Yes. So. Okay, by the way, this is a 45-year active investigation because it is the only unsolved airline, commercial airline hijacking. Yeah. Um, Again, 
so hot. And this whole time, the FBI has been coming. Like, the FBI regularly made information about their theories and conjectures public in the hopes that, like, the crowd-solving thing would kind of, like, happen. Um, So one of the theories is that he was an Air Force vet because he was so familiar with the area. He was really familiar with the terrain. He was familiar with making the jump. He was familiar with with where the uh, Air Force base was. Um, And then this is – I'm going to read this directly from Wikipedia because it's just just well-worded, but – Agents theorized that Cooper took his alias from a popular Belgian comic book series of the 1970s featuring the fictional hero Dan Cooper, a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot who took part in numerous heroic adventures, including parachuting. Absolutely. Um, No, there's no way that's a coincidence. No, I think so, too, which is one of the reasons why they also think he may have been Canadian, because it would have been a... Right. We don't know. We don't know. Ugh. Um, I know. That's the problem with the unsolved mysteries. It's delicious. Um... La la la. Uh, also, in those letters, like, they theorized that it was, like, a code for, like, his... What like, did the letters say? Just, like, hey, it's DV here. Like, hope you enjoyed your weekend, basically. <laughs> Another thing, too, is that, and you don't think about this when you hear the story, but he purposefully jumped the night before Thanksgiving, giving him four days to yeah. backpack out of the will wherever he fucking jumped to and return to his normal job. So one of the theories is that he may, because no one ever found his remains. So he may have success, like landed the thing successfully landed and then somehow gotten back home. And they also said it would make sense if he was wearing a nice fucking suit that he could have hitchhiked home. Yeah. Because people are more likely to pick up a hitchhiker in a nice suit. Hold on. I'm stuck on the letters. Mm-hmm. Are there like, Pictures or like transcripts yeah, of you the, letters. About the letters. Yeah, I want to hear what they said. Yeah, were they all the same, and he just sent them four different ways? No. He wrote a personalized letter to each newspaper. And which newspapers? Uh, this one was for Washington Post. Um. So this one was typed, which explains part of the. The handwriting. The handwriting that I had a problem with. Yeah. Um, It reads, sirs, I knew from the Sirs? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. That's a little (laughs) sexist. (laughs) Crush. Crush revoked. (laughs) Um, I knew from the start that I wouldn't be caught. I didn't rob Northwest Orient because I thought it would be romantic, heroic, or any of the other euphemisms that seem to attach themselves to situations of high risk. I'm no modern-day Robin Hood, unfortunately do have only 14 months to live. My life has been one of hate, turmoil, hunger, and more hate. This seemed to be the fastest and most profitable way to gain a few fast grains of peace of mind. I don't blame people for hating me for what I've done, nor do I blame anybody for wanting me to be caught and punished, though this can never happen. Here are some, not all, of the things working against the authorities. I'm not a boasting man. I left no fingerprints. I wore a toupee. I wore putty makeup. Whoa. They could add or subtract from the office, from the composite a hundred times and not come up with an accurate description. And we both know it. I've come and gone on several airline flights already and am not holed up in some obscure backwoods town. Neither am I a psychopathic killer. As a matter of fact, I've never even received a speeding ticket. Thank you for your attention. DB Cooper. He wore a prosthetic. That's what the letter claims. He has 14 months left to live. Right. So was he terminally ill or was he wanted by, oh my God, 
See, but that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to go into the letters because A, we don't even know that they're credible. That's true. And B, it just is like a whole Pandora's box. Here is his tie, though. The thing is that the tone of the letter is right. Like, I kind of yeah. love, like, I've never even gotten a speeding ticket. But he didn't... The thing that struck me about the letter, too, is that it seemed very smug. And yeah. from from the accounts from, like, Tina Mucklow and company, it didn't seem like he was smug about it. It seemed like he was just polite and quiet and going to pull off a heist. Well, it sounds like he was working for someone. You think so? Yeah. I think the reason that that letter seems so smug is because it's talking about personal gain. And I think, like, if you, a straight white man, (laughs) hijacking a plane and getting that far into the hijacking and basically knowing that he's going to get away with it and he has the money and whatever, and then being that polite but in such a way that these people are like, he was very nice and calm and from everything that you've said, he seemed not that arrogant. Mm-hmm. It seems like it. Here's the narrative I've constructed in my mind. Okay, go for it. He is doing it to like he got wrapped up in some dirty business because he was trying to like get money to save his dying wife. Like it just seems like he wasn't doing it for himself. And then those that letter is like, I did it because. I have 14 months left to live, and for some reason, that made me think I need $20,000. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that, like, it doesn't really make sense, like, why he would need that much money if he knew that he was, like, terminally ill or something. But my counterpoint to that would be that it would be very hard to get an educated white dude, especially if he was, like, former whatever, to jump out of a – to hijack a plane in the first place, let alone mm-hmm. to jump out of a plane at 8 o'clock at night in the dark over the... Org- Seems over the... like there are other ways to get money. Yeah, I mean, I think if he had been hired by somebody, then he would have just been hired to... Wouldn't he just get, like, hired to put a hit out on somebody and just go shoot someone in the head and then do... I mean, whatever. Maybe not, though. I mean, Where did the he... money come from? The ransom money? Yeah. They didn't say. They just said... I think it was paid, by, paid for by the airline. Well, it said that the the operation, not the operation manager, it said that the head of the airline assembled the ransom money, right? No, the FBI did. So why? Do you have more? No. I just like why. Why would you need? Why would you need to hijack a plane to get twenty thousand dollars? That was like. A million dollars in the 70s. But I just feel like there are easier ways, not easier, but like less physically risky. Go blackmail someone. I guess so. But I think if your comfort zone maybe is like if you're a fucking parachuter or an airline or you work at, he worked at Boeing. Maybe it was, he was upset because he got, listen, okay. Here's my conjecture because I, I had the worst math teacher ever and he was a total asshole. And the reason he was an asshole was because he got bo- laid off by Boeing. And because he got laid off from being an, like an airline engineer, he had to go teach fucking algebra to high schoolers. He was the worst and I don't take it back. I still hate him to this day. That being said, maybe this was a revenge plot because Boeing fucked him over. 
But don't we think that Boeing would have then been like, oh, here's an employee that we admittedly fucked over recently and he looks like that guy? Maybe. But also, if you work for Boeing, don't you make enough money that you don't need to hijack a plane to Not get if you just got laid off and you're pissed about it. Go file an unemployment claim <laughs> and get another job. If yeah. you work at Boeing, you're obviously highly qualified. Right. And then you go work and teach fucking high schoolers in algebra and you ruin little Maggie's life. There are other options. <laughs> well, I'll tell him that. Um, no, but I've, yeah. I mean, the motivations are unclear because also none of the money was ever recovered except for the money that was lost. Like none of it was ever really spent. So maybe that means if we're talking like profile of a criminal here, that it's more about the act of the, the hijacking than it is about the money. Maybe he just wanted to see if he could get away with it. And then what? And then do what with the money? We don't know what he did with the money, and we don't know if he survived, but none of the money ever went back into circulation. Bury it? I don't know. Is that why inflation is so bad? Yeah, that's why. Crush over. Crush over. God, I just, this is so frustrating. I know. Mine was like another fun mystery solved, and like I don't ca- I don't care that mine is unsolved because it's funny. I'm furious. It's an adventure. I have so many questions. The good news for you is that the day after I started right researching this, someone just someone I don't know who they're part of the Citizen Sleuth community I think held a press conference about how they had determined who the real D.B. Cooper was. And I tried to watch it and found myself very bored. And once again, it seemed like it was all conjecture. And I feel like if it was like 100% confirmed, then it would have been been on the cover of everything else by now. But you're welcome to dive into all those conspiracy theories. And I had to stop myself because it turned into like an Alpha Draconians moment for me. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not going into the suspects on the podcast. And you were like, I need you to go into the suspects. And I'm not doing it because we're not going down this rabbit hole again. Fine. But you can research, and I I'm will not post going lots to. of links. <laughs> I'm going to be mad for the next 25 minutes. Because then... the problem is that when you re- do the research, when you look at those suspects, every single one of them, you're like, oh, my God, yeah, that makes so much sense. Oh, my God, he was in the Air Force. Oh, my God, that guy. And then they go something where it's like, but also, like, there's no real reason to believe it was him. They just picked a random guy that was in the Air Force who was from Canada that knew the terrain. If there was any reasonable suspect, we would not. I think so, yeah. There were two main reasonable suspects who for a long time people thought they were. And one of them confessed in a phone call that was recorded. But I just, I don't buy it. I don't think a guy that I would need be hard that evidence polite doing, during a hijacking would then, would then come confess. out and, yeah. No. Yeah. But isn't that the most puzzling thing about it is his whole demeanor about the hijacking. Like he just straight up thought he was James Bond. He was. Yeah, he basically was real life James Bond. Because here's the, well, no, here's the difference. James Bond has a slew of movies about him. (laughs) Yeah. So somebody knew. Right. D.B. Cooper doesn't. Just gone. There's no franchise. There's no franchise and he's just gone. There was a movie made about him, but I think it was like a comedy. I really want like a real dramatic film. We'll write it. Don't tell anyone the idea. Forget you heard that. Forget you heard this whole podcast because that's the premise of my movie. God damn. And that's the mystery of D.B. Cooper. I want to know so bad. 
<laughs> I know. I want to know. I, I don't care who it is. I want to know why. Yeah, I want to know why too. Why? What did you? What did they use that twenty thousand dollars for? And if the twenty thousand dollars didn't get paid back, for mache, apparently because <laughs> no one ever saw it again. Or they used it to play that porn game we play, which is how you know no one would ever see it again. If you never want to see money again, go put it, put it in, in a, a bar machine. Put it in a bar video touch game. screen video yeah. game machine. God damn. That is so frustrating. I also, it's frustrating to me too that they found the placard from. And, and they cigarettes found, and fingerprints. No, no, no. That's on the plane. Uh, well, yeah, that's frustrating, too, though. They had so much forensic evidence, and they never figured out who it was. <laughs> but also that they found what I'm sure was his own personal from 18C airline placard about how to open the aft stair door, which is exactly like what he did. And sipping bourbon and reading it. Right. And they found that, and they also found a packet of the money that he ostensibly just lost during the fall but they never found him and then they did find pieces of what they think is his parachute at some point i want to rip my they never found off. him which makes me think he might have lived i'm sure he lived because initially no everyone was like or especially the authorities were like there's no way that he survived the jump but they like, never found a, if they you never found, found his the money suit and jacket you found the parachute you would have found his fucking body that's how i feel then they were like, well, you know, like wild animals could have eaten no, him, but you would have found bones, a, anything. And he was wearing like a blazer and a trench coat and loafers yeah. and a and button some down. bear would have been like, I met the nicest guy. Yeah, he was so polite. <laughs> he said his name was like Dan. Dan. And they're like, thank you, grizzly bear. Also, this was a time where you could purchase an airline. T- you could walk up to the counter. Purchased an alien ticket for $20 and not even have a real ID. He gave an alias. And isn't it crazy that this isn't the one that made us have to take our shoes off and throw no. away our water bottles at the airport? No. God. Kayla's making a lot of good faces right now. I'm just, mm. I know. You're just mad. I'm so mad. Do you want to go drink about it? C.B. Cooper, if you're out there. Tell will, us. Will you just text me? Listen. Get in contact with Franklin. Or, yeah, just email us at mysteryteamincorporated oh, yeah. <laughs> at gmail.com. Just email us. I just want to, like, take you out for a drink and karaoke. A bourbon and soda. I'll buy you bourbon. I'll buy you bullet. That's what I can afford. Yeah. Unless you still have all that money. In then, which case, you're and, taking you can me. buy me a bourbon. Kayla wants to go on a date with D.B. Cooper. I do, but I want to go on a date with D.B. Cooper, like, the, 40 years ago? The day when he after was 40? he did it. <laughs> Can you imagine the day after he did? Can you imagine if you like sat in a bar and he came up next to you and was like, one of your crazy stories? No. But he had cool sunglasses on, not wraparounds. I also, maybe this is just because I'm so bad at scheduling, but I was so impressed when it finally occurred to me after someone pointed it out that he purposely jumped the day before a long weekend. I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought of that. Because like, I don't know what knew long what he weekend. was doing. I don't know. I don't, I didn't I don't know, know what when day it was is Memorial Day. Time. I thought today was Friday. I thought it was Sunday. What day is it? Monday. Okay, I didn't know. I think. I was going to yes, say Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, you would have been close. Yeah, but close, it's a one in seven chance. Yeah. DB. DB? Hit me up. God, that's so good. These were good. These were good mysteries. I'm frustrated by one and laughing at the other. And I think that's a good combo. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just feel like we're talking about our dating lives. <laughs> hey, uh, 
All right. Do you want to share what you learned? Or did we already do that, kind of? I don't know what I learned. I'm just kind of baffled by that whole mystery. Like, I just, it's just so, it just gets me. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so, this is the most frustrated I've ever been by any of our mysteries. I'm sorry. I mean, it's good. Yeah. It's helping me be a better person, but I'm so mad. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I'm so mad. (laughs) uh all right well we learned that we learned my limit yeah we learned kayla's limits (laughs) we learned that uh if you're ever gonna if you're ever in a situation where you get to choose your own parachute (laughs) please read the package just read the package always read the back of the package just read the instructions also i love that even though he did this really scary thing Everyone was like, he was so polite. I know. Like, just, this is proof that you can just be kind kind to people. Yeah, and it goes a long way. You can be nice to people. Be nice. That's the other thing, too. When you were like, I have a crush on D.B. Cooper, I was like, it's actually fine because no one got hurt. and Nobody got hurt. And they all, like, kind of became heroes. Yeah, they did. And, well, oh, something else I didn't point out because I didn't write it down. But do you know why he asked for the four parachutes? Why? Because he wanted them to not know whether or not he was going to instruct the crew to jump with him. He brought enough for everyone but the pilot. So he, he basically because he wanted to keep them on board for the ransom. Ugh. He asked for enough parachutes. That's so smart. And it's so hot. It's so great. He thrust back off. He was so smart. God, that's so hot. It's not so smart because he... Yeah. I bet he I mean, had like it. a, just a fucking, he was so witty. Oh yeah, I bet. Like he was, he was quiet, but then he would just say one sentence and have everyone laughing. Yeah. Like, miss, you may want to look at that note. Ooh. I have a bomb. Oh God. Miss, you, uh, you may want to look at that note. I have a bomb. I bet he said, he was so hot when he said it. That sounded like I was trying to do Patrick Warburton. Yeah, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. (laughs) I was trying to be a sexy man. It's fine. You're just a sexy lady. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) Opa Gangnam style. I feel like we learned a lot today. I feel like I learned a lot and then my frustration erased everything you learned. That's fair. That's fine. That's the point. That's why we did this. Yeah, that is why we do this. Man. All right, another well, mystery unsolved. We don't know. And stay in your lane. Oh, stay in your lane. <laughs> With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.